This is Mind Rolling, Maragu Marcus and David Silver with Pete Holmes. And we don't know Pete from a hole in the wall. He's just That's a mutual true. friend we know, we of our friend Mark. Duncan oh, Trussell. Come on. Hi, Pete. Welcome. Let's run. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, it's wonderful to be here. I, I'm, I'm honored to do it. I love Duncan very, very dearly. He's, a, he's such a great friend of mine. Oh, yeah? Uh, one of those friends that I don't really see that often, but he always pops into my life uh, just when I need him. <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, I was feeling rather existential and low just the other day, and I walked into a voiceover gig, like a cartoon sort of thing that I didn't want to do, and he ended up being there, and uh, it made me really happy. That's good to hear. What was yeah, he yeah. doing? He's something. What was he doing he, in a cartoon? Was he in the he, cartoon? He was in the cartoon. It ended up that it was the two of us, and oh, it was you're the kidding. same. It was the same studio that I had met uh, Jack Cornfield in. I, I did uh, an episode of his podcast as well for your network. And I was actually really depressed that day, too. I don't know, man. Sometimes I, I feel like the, I spend so much of my time, this, uh, you know, the nature of reality and consciousness or whatever you want to call it, is truly my inexhaustible passion. And then I also have these days of just really, not crisis, but you're just kind of like, you know, as Ram Dass would say, there is depression. You know what I mean? I'm mm. like, oh, even though I'm spending all this time meditating or searching, I'm just kind of like, oh, I'm just really low today. Today is not one of those days. Oh, good, good. good. Well, thank God <laughs> for us. It's actually good for our listeners to hear this kind of, you know, flow from people, that it isn't all just bliss and granola and beads and gurus. It's sometimes fucked up and you feel yeah. like shit and you just have to bring that into the embrace somehow. It's hard, but it's yeah. good to hear you say that. I'm not happy or depressed, but uh, I get depressed, you know, not often, like once every two hours. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, you know, it's funny. That's the thing, man, is, is I'm currently obsessed with experiments and truth, uh, which oh, really? turned me on to. I, I'm not, I'm just this short of like wanting to memorize it. I love it so much. And someone who grew up in the Christian tradition, one of the talks that he gives, that Ram Dass gives, he talks about being really angry. I, I don't know if you were there at the time, if either of you were there at the time, but he talks about hating everybody that he was with and uh, throwing the, the banana leaf of food at something. Was that you? I was right, right there, right then. Yeah. You were? Yeah, I'll never forget that because it's, it's the worst thing you can do in India. I mean, you can do a lot of crazy shit in India. Yeah. But you might as well go over and hammer someone in the head, basically, rather than throw food at them. Really? Like the food is so <laughs> substantially the essence of, of their giving life, you know? Mm -hmm. So that when, uh, in, in fact, if you, let's put it this way, if you go there and they give you some food and you don't finish it, they, they'll all stand around you and they'll look at you and go like, what in the heck? <laughs> you don't like us? Yeah. No, they'll get really pissed. So when Ramdas came and did that, and he came and he did it to one of the other Westerners, so it wasn't quite as bad, but it was still pretty bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'll never forget that. That was really off the wheel. I am so oh. starstruck that, that, that you were there. That is incredible to me. But the thing that I wanted that really struck me about that was growing up in, in a, uh, for lack of a longer explanation, an evangelical Christian church, the pastor, you're not allowed to talk about being angry or being petty or having doubt or being horny or being or hating everybody where I'm like, when did it get homogenized and reduced into this sort of mascot guy that's like always happy and always perfect? There's, it's so un inhuman. 
And when Ram Dass is talking about hating everybody and the contradiction of telling the truth and, and loving everybody, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that's real. That's the juice right there. Yeah. And in fact, it was one of the things that totally attracted me when I first heard him talk like this, just the same stuff that you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, shit. It's OK to have this shit going on. OK. Yeah. I don't have to hide in a corner, you know, and and think these thoughts and think I'm the worst piece of shit in the world. Right. right? So that was freeing. <laughs> big time. Big time. It's, sedu- it's seductive, though, because when I've been with evangelicals and other people like that, who, you know, you have a, a conversation, you say, you know, I really don't like Mike Huckabee, you know, and they love him. And instead of going, what's the matter with you? How could you not like him? They go, oh, bless your heart. You're OK. And you know, they don't fucking mean that. I mean, bless your heart. <laughs> I, you know, I validate what you just said, which is, I think Mike Huckabee is, a, is you know, ridiculous. Right. So, you know. <laughs> but it's that sort of phoniness that see all of this Christian language that I'm for lack of a, a better thing to do, I suppose I'm always trying to cling on to it. And uh, we talk about that, that bliss, that lightness. And somehow that got reduced in the Christian community that I'm from, which is being like, hey, buddy. But then under your breath saying, like, go fuck yourself. Like, I, I, I hate you and, and gossiping and and not allowing for that stuff. So it, it gets like I said, it turns into like some sort of grotesque mascot. But the thing that is so appealing to me about this, uh, what you guys are teaching is that inclusion of things, not resisting uh, those feelings, even if you do strongly disagree with somebody <laughs> or or not like somebody. <laughs> it's a constant battle, isn't it, Roger? We find that it's a battle. Oh, it's yeah, not... no, we're on to this all the time about Talk getting about. pissed about everything we read, see, hear, and <laughs> and then just becoming polarized just the same as anybody else. And we just be like them, you know, because it's just the opposite way. And it's very, very difficult kind of a thing. Where did you grow up, Pete? I grew up outside of Boston in Lexington, Massachusetts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, birthplace yeah. of the American Revolution. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, uh, and you grew up in this kind of Christian atmosphere and, and were a teenager and you went to college. and did... Yeah, the strange thing is, is that like a lot of people that grew up like me, it's their, uh, it's their parents doing, you know, their parents kind of pushed it on them. Where I really uh, was a kid that I really believed when grownups told me something. So I, I just gravitated right towards it. A grown-up told me that if you accept Christ as your personal savior, you don't go to an eternal conscious uh, living torment for eternity. And if you do believe in him, you get to go to paradise for forever. And I, I just took that as, uh, as gospel. And uh, then I was like, why wouldn't we all spend our lives pursuing that? Why are we talking about any, anything else if that's true? Nowadays, I'm like, it's because you don't really believe it. I can, <laughs> I can say that as somebody that came from that tradition. I, I, I went to that church. I believed everything. I really got involved very heavily in youth groups and stuff like that. And then I actually thought I was going to be a youth pastor. I mean, look at my face. Don't I, I look like a youth pastor? <laughs> so I, I went to a, co- a college called Gordon College, which, you know, is a uh, Bible-believing college, which, what I would think of as a fundamentalist kind of school in the sense that they they believe in a literal uh, gospel. There's no metaphor or myth involved. It's it's a true story about a, a, a God that came and died for atonement, all the ethical kind of implications of the story. And uh, our job is to kind of celebrate that that person did it, um, not certainly not join, join them. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, but then, you know, I can, I can keep going. <laughs> the story continues just because it's, it's, I got married to the first girl that I slept with, which is what everybody did 
in that in that school. In fact, when I got my first blowjob, I I knew we were going to get married. <laughs> I I didn't even enjoy it. It, it sounds. <laughs> no, that's it's, really I, I mean, I was I was yeah. laying there and I was just thinking like, uh, well, I guess we should look for venues and caterers and stuff. Like <laughs> every everyone else was obsessed with losing their virginity, and I was so obsessed with maintaining mine. And then we got married, and and then the story pretty much goes like this. We got divorced when I was 28. I got married when I was 22, divorced when I was 28. And like, you know, I forget who said it, great change comes through great love or great pain. Here I was in great pain and everything, I kind of had a a God clearance sale and everything had to go. And then I slowly started piecing things back together. And that's that's kind of where we are now, even though that was eight years ago. I've been doing that for eight years. What what about, uh, so what is... This is really odd. What is your relationship with Christ now, my son? <laughs> I am obsessed with a couple people. I'm obsessed with Ram Dass. I'm obsessed with uh, Joseph Campbell as well. That was a, a, a huge uh, liberating experience for me in helping me interpret my cultural Christianity, meaning that uh, was the story that I was raised with. That's the language that I'm most comfortable with. And my relationship with uh, Christ now is uh, I look at him as, as an example, like a go and do likewise. And as a metaphor, I, I don't look at it, and this is, this is huge. If I, when I said this to my family and when I say this to the people I grew up with, it is absolute blasphemy. But when I try and explain to people that I believe that Jesus, like dragons or Santa Claus or Iron Man, isn't real but is something better, it's true, P- people get lost when you just say it isn't it isn't real. You know what I mean? Like they just turn off right away. So now I look at it as as a story where, uh, not necessarily a literally true story, but more than literally true story where each of us are to die to our lower selves and be resurrected to our enlightenment or divinity or whatever you want to put it. Uh (laughs) Okay. Now I'm going to tell you something. They would would respond to, if he said he wasn't real as much as saying he was a yogi, you know, because his actions and his behavior and his demeanor and everything about him is very similar to many siddhas and, and teachers and yogis, thousands of them, maybe millions of them, if you count the Buddhist uh, Buddha, you know, department. And, and I'm going to, let me, they, let me tell, they, let me tell this story, that? Dave. Let me tell this story because it, it's a direct uh, yeah. connective tissue why I asked that to Pete Um, because and we were talking about growing up and you know what you were into and 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 the whole fundamentalist thing and where you came out at it and what you just said so I grew up Jewish in Montreal that's where I'm from and and when I was in parochial school my teacher had uh, numbers on his arm right he was in the Nazi camp and uh, he was a scary dude. And all he talked about was Christ is bad. This is bad. <laughs> I didn't know anything about anything. And, uh, and so I grew up and I wasn't really particularly, I just never thought about it. I never read the new Testament, nothing. Right. I go to India. i follow Ram Dass off to India. The second time he went and I get, I get to see Maharaji Neem Karoli Baba, who you read, the man in the blanket in the books, right? And yep. I'm sitting there after maybe a few days, 
I think to myself, and this is a famous story, but I'm telling you because it's so apropos. Mm. I said, shit, I just met a Hindu guru. I got to get a mantra, right? This is what you should be doing. So I said to him, could you uh, tell me how to meditate, Maharaji? And he looks at me and he goes, meditate like Christ. When he was nailed to the cross, he felt love, not pain. He was lost in love with everyone. I was like, taken aback, right? Oh, before that, he would say, well, the first day I came, he said, where's your, where's your cross? Aren't you wearing a cross? And I'm thinking, cross? Like I'm Jewish. What? <laughs> okay. So then Ramdas came the next day. He wasn't there then. And I said, you know, you got to ask him this because you have a more convivial relationship. How did Christ meditate? So the, so the essence of, of what you went through and came out the other side in a funny way related to the truth I came from completely the other direction, having nothing to do with Christ. It meant nothing to me whatsoever, except that I was trying to run away from any kind of Judeo-Christian religion of any sort. And he, he asked, Ramdas asked the question. He sat there. He closed his eyes. There was me, Krishnadas, who you may have heard of, who does a chant around the world, and a couple other people with Ramdas. And he closed his eyes, and then tears started coming down. And he just kept repeating over and over, he never died. He never died. You do not understand. He never died. He was lost in love with every sentient being and, he, and a few other things. But in that moment, we had complete, what they call in India, darshan or being in the presence of Christ. I, I, got, I, like, I, live in a, I live in Asheville, North Carolina, and all around me is... I mean, there's more churches here than there are 7-Elevens, okay? I mean, it's unbelievable. And, and they all have, you know, they have their signs. I love their signs. And they're all, this is the only way, Christ to the blood of Christ, and the whole thing. And I was thinking to myself, you know, I actually believe everything <laughs> except mm. for that exclusivity that you have going on. And mm. so I actually got the true as the truth, what you were just talking about, of what Christ really is and how he... He was completely selfless and gave up everything. You know, mm-hmm. as far as a historical or not historical figure, who would know? Uh, I mean, you know, I, I've I've saw the I saw a little bit of that film about that. I can't remember what it is, but um, but the reality is that I went all the way to India to have Christ Tarsha. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, there's a great amount of relief that comes with the inclusion of of Christ and and Buddha and everybody kind of coming in with their. Uh, interpretation of the truth. The, the thing that I have a problem with, not a problem, when we talk about Christ as a yogi, right, as, as an enlightened being, as a realized person, uh, I still have a lot of people going like, yeah, that came from a virgin birth. You know what I mean? The, the literal truth of that is very important. In fact, their salvation hinges on it. Do you believe that he was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and was physically killed and resurrected. I don't like throwing away that story, but when you tell me about Maharaji saying Christ never died or when he was nailed there, I, I wonder if he's talking about a historical fact or, or, or an idea or a concept. I really, I, I don't know. What, what do you think? I have no idea what that reality is, except that I, we, he constant. well, you know what he said? He said Christ and Hanuman. You know who Hanuman is, the monkey god yeah. in India? They're the same. So I'm assuming uh, uh, that he said that 
uh, as a result of the, the reality is that energy, whatever that energy is, localized in a human form and now not, was exactly the same energy. So, right. So how it manifested and what, f you know, I wasn't around then, we weren't around then, it doesn't really matter to me. Uh, the fact is, I did meet the manifestation of that energy in his form when right. I went to India, and that's all I give a shit about, honestly. But he did talk about Christ, and it was always in terms of an example of, of uh, I mean, with Hanuman, the greatest story that he that I loved that he used to tell, and it's in the it's in the Ramayana that he loved so much, is the story of the Ramayana. I'll tell you in in like two sentences. It's like a thousand, three thousand page book or something, right? But uh, Ram Ram is the king, is God. He came down to earth. His wife gets taken by the demons. He needs help to find her. He enlists the monkey god Hanuman. Hanuman goes, finds her. And and comes back to Ram and says, "Here's where she is. You you know you can easily easily vanquish them." So there's this one moment when Ram says to him, "Nobody's done what you've done for me. Nobody. I'll give you any boon in the eight worlds. Whatever you want, you can have." And Hanuman throws himself at Ram's feet and says, "Save me! Save me from the tentacles of egoism." So the essence of completely subserving your ego towards helping people towards being of use for fellow humans and in its most simplest terms i got that in that thing and i got that that that's what he was talking about what christ did mm -hmm. okay throughout his own completely self-oriented system and in in the buddhist canon they talked about it they talk about it as self-cherishing self-interest okay that's the thing that we have to overcome. And it's like, you know, even when you talk about, you know, we all get depressed at different times or another, that is tremendous self-interest, right? <laughs> that, is, that is just sucking up and, and, you know, just grabbing onto whatever the worst bullshit mental emotion or thoughts that we have about ourselves and, and just diving in there and wallowing, you know, that's a bit of what, what depression is, why mindful awareness helps you get out of that stuff. And, mm. um, okay, I've been talking too much, Dave, it's your turn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you got, take a crack here. Up. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll let you off. Um, I wanted actually to go to your podcast because I've been listening to a few of them and uh, talk about some things that have happened on your podcast. And I particularly wanted to point out one particular dichotomy of polarity, which I found incredibly fascinating. Mm. And they involve two podcasts, one with Noel Gallagher and one with Deepak. And it's very interesting because I love Noel Gallagher. I love Oasis. They're from Manchester, which is where my family's from. I think Oasis is one of the few bands since the early 60s, mid-60s that really had some balls about them. And you asked know about um, LSD and spirituality. And he said, well, you know, I've taken LSD and, you know, it's good. And then I got bored with it and uh, stopped taking it. And uh, no, I'm not spiritual at all. Not at all. Not at all. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in any of that shit. And LSD, well, I just, you know, it was fine. It was LSD. It was nothing else. Uh, yes, a supernova, you know, came through something. It was a channel and from God, maybe, no, somewhere, I don't know. Uh, you know, but no. It's, uh, no, no spirituality in, in my deal. It's very interesting. And then he says, I do have respect for science, though. I don't like a man of science. I like that. Cut to Deepak. And I, I think your interview with Deepak, without being too obsequious, was absolutely marvelous. And I no, thank to, you. I, oh, it was stunning. 
Thank you. Because you got him, you were laughing with him, and you were flowing with him in a way that I haven't seen with other people. Other people treat him you know, like a god. <laughs> and you, you treated him with great respect, but you were also, you know, talking about having a real conversation with him, which is what we try to do on, on this show. Fail sometimes, but hopefully. <laughs> uh, How do you know? He said, he Sorry, said the exact opposite to Noel Gallagher. He talked about something called naive realism. He said, yeah, well, it's good. All these scientists are great and all these technologists are great, but they think that's it. And that's their problem. And Deepak then went on to talk about if you cannot see the quantum truth of it all, and you can't see that you and it and the consciousness of it are all one, and that it is far more than anything that you could imagine, even in your most brilliant scientific mind, then you're missing out big time. You're wasting, you're wasting an incarnation. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to me that you've got these two guys, both very interesting. Noel Gallagher, very famous, and in my world, and I've worked in the rock and roll world my whole life, one of the greatest, one of the greatest, along there with the greatest. Mm -hmm. So it's fascinating to me. He's known as a badass. His brother Liam, both badasses. Conversation with you was delightful, but it just stopped when you kind of went into the spiritual thing, and the exact opposite happened with Deepak. That, those both happened, Rago, on two mm -hmm. podcasts that mm -hmm. Pete did, and that blew me away. I mean, I've seen your stand-up, and you're a terrific comic, and, uh, you know, extremely subtle. You're in that, you know, Trevor Noah, Duncan Trussell <laughs> genre, you know. Uh, but I'd like you to talk about that about the experience of being with these two human beings, both of whom you respected, both mm -hmm. of whom you had a real conversation with. But those two poles, how do you reconcile those two poles? Yeah, you know, I, it was funny. When I talked to Noel, I was really struck with how hung up on vocabulary people are because he was very quick to... First of all, I, I was a little disappointed that he was so dismissive of his, of his LSD experiences. I really I thought that was going to be the hack to get him talking about uh, another reality or whatever. And then he said, like he said of his music, he was like, you get what you bring to it. Uh, do you remember that? He was kind of like, if yes. you go into your acid trip thinking you're going to have a spiritual experience, you'll have an, a spiritual experience. Or you can just be like, I'm on LSD. Which, you know, uh, logic like that is always, it's not, it's not disappointing is the wrong word, but it's not the most fun. I, I really wish he had kind of taken it as a safe space and kind of played around more um, with that particularly. But then when I, I quoted Joseph Campbell and I said, do you believe in God? He said, no. And then I say, do you believe in a metaphor for a mystery that transcends all categories of human thought, including being and non-being? And he said, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? He was like, of course, of course I do. So like, you know, it's one of those interesting things where it's like, what are we, what are we talking about? Especially when you're dealing with a rock and roll persona. And I'm not saying he has a bigger ego or identity than I do. We're, we're just, do you believe in God? No. But then the next thing he talks about is when he's writing a song, feeling something channeling through him. The same thing happened when I interviewed Jed Apatow, who's a friend of mine. He might be quick to be like, uh, I don't necessarily believe in this, in this mainstream God. But then if you start talking about when you're writing a script or, or, or whatever it is, feeling like a, a channel, feeling like uh, something is flowing through you. So that happened very, very quickly. I know I'm not directly addressing what you said about Noel, but I was interested that he went from saying, I don't believe in any of that. And then as soon as we kind of lubricated the definition of God, the next thing he said was, when I write a song, I feel like I'm not writing it. Essentially, I feel like... Yeah. I'm just a conduit. And I was like, well, that's a very, you know, I didn't say this, but that's a very mystical kind of uh, approach. And, and what fun that we got there as soon as we took the, the God word off the table. Mm. 
And that's what, and that's one of my big passions is, is replacing God with that, with that definition. I, I, that's Joseph Campbell's definition. Deepak, uh, what, what was it? What was it specifically you were wondering? Well, he said, to quote him, he, he said, scientists, and he was talking about Brian Greene and, and others. He said, they actually believe that's the universe. That's what he said to you. In other words, what you see, what you can empirically prove and, and observe, and not in the quantum sphere, but just in the mechanistic you know, concept of science. Right. That is Deepak's, Deepak was contemptuous of that. I said, yep. how, dare, how dare they? They're, they're, right. they're not, you know, it's, we've got 35 billion light years of universe around us. Right. And, and, you know, just that alone, which is a scientific fact, would, wouldn't that assume that we know nothing? I, I, I love that so much. And Deepak, he, he actually kind of assumed when we were off mic, he was like, you should come back and do this panel with me called Sages and Scientists, and you should uh, make fun of science with me. And I was like, I, I am not equipped to do that. Like, I can't go toe-to-toe with Brian Greene. Although I will say, when Brian Greene was on my podcast as well, who, uh, you know, he's an astrophysicist, I giggled the whole time as well. Uh, I, I laughed the entire podcast with Deepak, and I laughed the entire time with Brian Greene. I actually found them both similarly liberating. Uh, Brian Greene in his, you know, certainty, and, and Deepak in his kind of elasticity uh, in that regard. I love the Terrence McKenna uh, quote, and I have to paraphrase this because I've actually never seen it written down in its completion. But to paraphrase, he says, acting like we understand the known universe because the universe because we understand science is like saying we understand Los Angeles because we understand the phone book. And I think that's exactly what Deepak's talking about to me. It's like we know that these proteins bond to this and, and this forms this and these molecules and the 11th level of subatomic particles and all that stuff. And, and someone wonderful like Terrence McKenna is just like, yeah, but what, what is this? No one knows. You, you don't know. And that's either interesting to you or it's not. I really think that's, that's one of those there's two kinds of people in the world things where I still can trip out on what is water or what is fire or, or, or what is anything, what is air. And some people are, my girlfriend, thankfully, is also one of those people that when we go, what is fire? And we remember being in high school and, we, and we're like, oh, they're finally going to tell us what fire is. And they tell us that it's a, it's a chemical reaction between these compounds and this and blah, blah, blah. And we're like, nah, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? Like, that's absurd. Like, it's the opposite. And, and it seems kind of child. I think it's childlike. I don't think it's childish. I think it, it's getting back to that sort of awe and wonder that we should have. Yeah. And when Deepak talks about naive realism, I, I perk right up. It's one of my favorite things that he talks about. Mm-hmm. I actually have, I wrote, I wrote down a lot of the things he said. I have these note cards out because <laughs> I, I have to do it. A lot of these are Ramdas, actually. <laughs> um, if you'll forgive me. Remember when he talked about biological robots? Yeah. It's so good, right? Yeah, people who deny spirit are just biological robots. He says. <laughs> Wasting their time, basically. <laughs> he can be quite. He can be quite. Uh, right. Assertive. Yeah, he he doesn't. Well, that's what he he invited me to make fun of science. He wasn't saying come and have like a compassionate discussion. Right. He was like, I want to like, you know, lovingly ridicule some of these ideas. He, you know, he wrote something about like 
when your brain, a physical object, sees a chair, it's one physical object perceiving another physical object. And he's like, that's impossible. He also says in that podcast, he's like, if reality was what our eyes were seeing, everything would be upside down because, because of the way the eyes work. I'm just like, why, why don't more people talk like you? I just think that's so interesting that the idea that, that what we're perceiving is, is just what, what all these ancient uh, kind of traditions say. It's just some sort of elaborate dream that we're constructing ourselves, you know? Um, I have something that I saw a little bit that you did on, I think it was on one of the television shows. It was around Google yeah, and not knowing and just human interaction and tech. Talk, talk about that a little bit. And that Gladly. Was... It's funny because the two times that I was on Conan was for doing uh, these two bits that like um, that Conan had told me that he had never really seen a comedian do. A lot of, a lot of comedians like to uh, deconstruct or, or, or rail against things. The Google one is uh, was was why I got the show. I was doing stand up and being funny but then the time that i did the google joke was the first time the booker saw me and was like oh we have to put you on next week it was one of those mm. kind of great show business stories and the point of that joke really speaks very deeply to my longing for mystery but in this kind of uh surface way is that uh and i wrote the joke it's actually kind of fun to talk about this, I think. It took about 10 years to really put that joke together. <laughs> in the way, remember Noel talked about writing Don't Look Back in Anger, not to compare myself to Oasis, but that he wrote it uh, coming home drunk one night, and then he let it sit for a year. A lot of my stand-up, even though it's very silly at times, will come from something that you try. I was trying to do this joke about how Google is ruining our lives, and it wasn't really clicking, and then like three, four, five, six years later, I just tried it again. And maybe, maybe it was more um, you know, rampant, more people were using it or whatever, but suddenly it started really working. And some of those key phrases. But the idea was that the time that knowing feels exactly like not knowing now. Basically, that if you wonder anything, Google is like a calculator that helps you cheat at every subject, not just math, but every subject. Uh, so when you wonder something, and in the joke I say, where's Tom Petty from, you just look it up. And then the time between not knowing and knowing is so brief that knowing feels exactly like not knowing, meaning you're left empty because there was, there was no, for lack of a better way, sexual tension. There was no buildup. It's just the orgasm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, then, and then I say that that, that you know, I know I sound like Andy Rooney when I, when I do this joke, but it's this idea that there was a time that if you didn't know where Tom Petty was from, you just felt a deficit. You walked around feeling a lack and you would hypothesize with other people as, as you know, I actually did this. It was like, you know, he looks like he's from California, but he sings about Indiana an awful lot. You know what I mean? And he's kind of got a corn fed feel. And then finally you'd ask a, a woman wearing a Tom Petty t-shirt where he's from and she'd tell you Florida, but it, it, it would be weeks since you've been wondering and you talk to an actual person and have this connection. And the joke that I say is a wave of endorphins and adrenaline and meaning would wash over you. And that's how you met your wife. Meaning that unknowing would bond these two people together. Obviously you, you get that. But that, that was the first joke that I've written that people, I get little notes that it's like in some textbook or <laughs> some, you know, <laughs> people are always quoting it or saying it changed their lives. But the thing for me about the God mystery 
is that like I'm so grateful for something that can't be Amazon one clicked or Instagrammed or live tweeted. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's it's such a pleasure to me. In fact, the best way I can articulate my depression when I'm really feeling low is that I'm I'm exhausted with reality. I, I'm bored with reality. People will ask me to do something like, "Do you want to go to the park?" And I'm like. What are we going to see things, touch things, taste things? Are we going to hear things? And then are we going to discuss it and remember it? Is that what you're proposing? <laughs> and then in comes God, the unknowable, the transcendent that we keep trying to ruin and bring into reality. But I, I, I like to say, leave the transcendent where it belongs. Transcended. Leave it there. <laughs> Stop bringing it in with the phone book and your fucking dildos and shit. You know what I mean? I, I'm so desperate for so, an unwinnable game, an infinite mystery, <laughs> something that I can do not just to busy myself. There's a great Richard Rohr quote, who's a Franciscan friar. He did the podcast and he taught me, mystery is not that which is unknowable, but that which is infinitely knowable. And I was like, and I, I actually wrote this down. I wrote, thank fucking God for God. Like, I just, I can't take just this. This is so boring. This is so boring. So when I listen to Ram Dass talking about flipping the channels of your consciousness or waking up to all other realities, it's like not having cable. I'll be honest. I think the, the closest I've gotten is that low level. It's called Samadhi, right? The base. I don't even know. I don't even, you guys would know better than me. But little, I have not. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't I haven't tripped out very hard without psychedelics or anything like that but I sure am craving that sort of appropriate fascination that that like he talks about that that simultaneous emptiness but also utter fascination uh, and yeah that that's my rant <laughs> you know and you just said the word that just clicked in my head um and and there's there's two words here that and one of them is is a hated word it's love it's like when ramdas first came back from india he said there's a few things here i can't talk about one of them is well guru back then now of course everybody's a guru second thing is devotion oh terrible surrender devotion oh boy in the west and the third is love because love, you're just a weakling. Even Sharon Salzberg, to the, in these days, will still say that love is not a weak thing, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, this happened to me oh, a little experience just a few months ago. I was working on uh, a Ramdas. Some of this is repetitive, Dave, but I want to tell Pete. It's like hanging out, like I would if I was. No, I, please, you can't bore me. You can't bore me. I, I love this stuff so much. I was hanging out. I was doing. You can bore Dave. Yeah, please him bore I, Dave. I have bored him to death. I can make a cup of tea now. It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's what I meant. Your worry wasn't that I'm bored. Your worry is yeah, that you're boring David. Yeah, but a, please bore David. Story. A good story. Yeah. Yeah. My fascination outweighs that. Um, <laughs> I was, uh, editing, <laughs> I was editing a, uh, a workshop that Ram Dass did on death and dying called the blessing of mortality, by the way, a fantastic workshop with a Roshi named Joan Halifax. You should have her on the show, by the way, she is unbelievable and down to earth and no bullshit and no, uh, you, Joan you would Halifax? Roshi, Joan Halifax. Absolutely. Um, okay. And her and another man named Frank Ossieski, who does a Zen hospice thing in uh, San Francisco. 
And uh, so in the course of it, Ramdas was asked a question about unconditional love. What, what are we really talking about here? And he started to recall that first moment, and it's in, you know, it's in Be Here Now. He's mentioned it a million times. We have mentioned it. I have mentioned it on these podcasts a million times. But it was that moment when uh, he, the first thing that happened is that Maharaji Nimkarali Baba told him everything that had gone on days before when he had been thinking about his mother. It's a famous thing in Be Here Now. It's the thing that got a huge pile of us to India. And we have a book coming out on this, by the way, in the fall. Mm. And uh, it's all of our experiences of, of hearing about Maharaji through Ramdas mostly and then going over to India and actually meeting him. And so he recalled that moment. And in that moment, uh, Maharaji said to Ramdas, so you were thinking about your mother? He said, yeah. And she died? Yeah. He's like already getting paranoid, CIA, how the fuck could anybody know this? And then he said she died of, and in English he went spleen. She had spleen cancer. So when Ramdas heard that, that one word knocked him on the floor, on the ground, uncontrollable. I mean, he could not, his mind just couldn't fathom how this, and he had taken acid about six billion times too. It wasn't like, (laughs) you know, and he says now that was just preparation for that moment. So he could, you know, he he wouldn't expire in it. Mm. And then as he's on the ground or, you know, as he was knocked over, he had other thoughts started going through his head and he goes, Oh my God, if he knows that he, he knows everything that I'm thinking. And I, I don't want him to know these thoughts. And he had this guilt and shame, you know, the thing that we do when we have bullshit thoughts, right? And he looked up and Maharaji was just, I know everything that you're thinking and I still love you, look. And Ramdas said, okay, that was my first moment, not my mother when I was a baby, nothing was like this, of unconditional love experience. And I, so he experienced that as, as really the fabric of the universe, really, when we oh. talk about God or any of this bullshit. And then in the moment that he was telling the story in this video, and this is just that we did this, what, in February or something, he, he got into the moment. He actually, he, it just overwhelmed him, and he started weeping a little bit just from feeling that moment. He just got into it. You know, he just felt that, that universal, unconditional love. And then he kept... And then he repeated over a couple of times, and he said, he was just empty, empty. He repeated that, empty. For the first time in my life, and I have been studying along with David, we're really into studying the Buddhist texts. We have been reading and studying and, and, and been with all sorts of lamas over the decades. And emptiness is one of the big tenets, the understanding of what emptiness is. And for the first time, Pete, I got an inkling. Oh, right, that's what it's about. You cannot carry that kind of unconditional love unless you are completely free of self. You're just not self-identifying. You're not me, me, mine, mine. You're not waking up as Krishna, I love his image. You wake up in the morning and the movie of me begins you know (laughs) and that was eradicated and and in this this being it was incredible and it's just it gives you hope that that is all a a possible reality so 
that emptiness connected with the unconditional love that thing and that just happened i mean this is decades and decades later in that one moment you know so. yeah it's it's what like that story you told the the hanuman story he yeah. wanted to he wanted to be there yeah is yeah. that is am i hearing that right yeah no there was that that's where that was the only boon that he was interested in was mm. being there being in that i think room. Unconditional love is something uh, I talk about on my podcast all the time, and a lot of the time it's informed by what Ramdas has said about it. And uh, I just played the third lecture. This was yesterday. I just played the third lecture on experiments in truth for Valerie, my girlfriend. And we, you know, I love it and find it challenging. She also found it very challenging. We're also crying, you know what I mean? Like we're crying and we're laughing. And then we're also like, fuck man, I am like, Ramdas talks about that being the person that unlocks you to the place in yourself where you are love. And that when someone goes away, someone dies or leaves you, you miss that vehicle to take you to that place inside of yourself. And I was like, yeah, but I also just like that you're silly. You know what I mean? Like I was having a hard, like I like the way you uh, sing in the morning and, I, and I, I like the way you hide from me when I come home. You know, like mm. I, I was having a hard time really, because believe me, I, I don't want to be dependent on anybody. I say that to my girlfriend all the time, trying my best to understand these principles. I'm like, I love you. You, you, you love me. You don't need me. Like, I, I'm in love with you, you know, we're in love together, all that sort of stuff. But then I also right away see that sort of uh, human possessive kind of place as well. Mm. He, he uses that example of like, if you love me, uh, would you mind if I cut your throat? Do you remember, <laughs> you remember that? Like, if you really, we, I think I'm being all ballsy on my podcast when I say if my, if my girlfriend had sex with somebody else, that that's not a deal breaker for me, that I love her unconditionally and i think i'm being all groovy and really uh, ahead of my time if you look at any movie it's a, what is it 90 percent of movies the conflict is somebody fucks somebody that they're not pledged to if you if you get over that most movies become like very uh <laughs> redeemable very quickly you're like get over it like uh, why why you know it's a fascination for me why would i forgive myself so much more quickly than i would forgive my girlfriend i would understand Oh, I saw somebody that was so attractive to me and the circumstance was just right. And I had sex. I'd call my best friend and I'd be like, I love my girlfriend, but I just fucked this girl in Spain on, in the grass and it was raining and it was the best night of my life. I would tell him, but I wouldn't tell my soulmate. You know what I mean? Mm. Which we think is horseshit. I would tell my soulmate. That's something we work on. But if she was like, I want to kill you, I want, like Pete, it would really give me great pleasure to, to, cut, your, to cut your throat. I, I would actively run away from her. <laughs> well, you know, there's an, an interesting thing because uh, I just did a podcast. I do podcasts with uh, introducing Ram Dass talks and so on. Mm. Um, you know, things that I like. Uh, and there was this one where he talked about, uh, he was asked about sexuality and the divine. It was, it was a Q&A kind of thing. Actually, it's... It's the last podcast. It'd be, it'd take a listen to it. It's uh, the the one that's up now, I think. Um, so, um, you hear that? God is, that is talking. Yeah, yeah. maybe we should stop right now. I think we should stop. <laughs> no, no, we'll wait till we get blown <laughs> out. I don't want to stop. It's going to come down. I know it. I yeah, knew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he because talk- this thing every week to my great what love. 
uh, called uh, Stuff from the End of the World. I forgot. Oh, right. On our mind rolling. I always come up with something. End news from stuff. the end of the world. You I know, do. Yeah. Like uh, a guru that asks his 400 devotees to all uh, cut off their penises. No, no. Testicles. Not penis. Just oh, testicles. I'm sorry. I, do I don't wrong. think it was the penis. It was Test- just. A, yeah. It was just testicles. Oh, no. He yes. was cool. Yeah, That's he's a true fine. Story. This is a true story. Absolutely true story. News from the end of the world, Pete. Yeah. Uh, oh, anyhow, I want to. Raghu, you've gone very dark there. Is it's it really dark, dark because it's uh, suddenly there's this. I mean, yeah. it's going to be a tornado or something. You may not ever see me again. Here, here we oh my go. God. I had to turn on my light. Okay, so before this storm blows us away, just to say, because we were talking about fidelity and being able to tell your soulmate, re, you know, stuff, uh, the truth, and so on, and and having, you know, can you have a, an affair with somebody else and it's still okay? And uh, so he talked about his uh, sexuality, bisexuality, and he talked about, uh, he said, ultimately, if I, if whatever my relationship is with with anyone, girl, man, woman, anybody, a hug, it could be anything, if that conscious act takes me away from union, yoga, if you want to call it, then it's completely detrimental and I cannot do it. If it doesn't take me away, there isn't anything that I can't do. So that, that's, I think, really the bottom line. And, but at the same time, and Jack Cornfield talks a lot about this. I don't know if he talked to you about it when you did that thing with him and Duncan. But it was always, uh, he always returns people to the reality <laughs> Telling you. Yeah. Okay. No, no, no <laughs> this is going to be with a no storm. Problem. No, it's okay. Uh, he always comes back to the reality of we are human. It's okay. We fuck up all the time, and it's okay. And if, and in, in particularly in a relationship, as long as you have an agreement. I mean, Ramdas married my beautiful wife Saraswati, and I. And uh, in at behind in his backyard in his house in Maui, and the theme of it was it's a triangle, and this is how he does it when he marries people, um, and um, so there's you, your beloved, and the third part of the triangle is whatever you want to call this, the mystery, the guru, the unconditional love, but there's always that be as the as part of the triangle so that everything that happens between you and everything that you consciously and unconsciously move into is only to get each other free to be able to help anybody including mm-hmm. yourself so i always love that and you know we do our best to tr- practice it but always remember you know hey we're human and so you know that that in- inevitably means a lot of screwing up right you know, I think it's very interesting, again, coming from the Christian tradition, the obsession. Joseph Campbell talks about how Christianity uh, got reduced into this ethical religion, the obsession being with uh, on sin and atonement. Christ comes to atone for a debt to pay your debt. And what, what can <laughs> there's some good thunder right there. This, by the way, ancient people would have, this would have blown their minds, the fact that you, Raghu are somewhere where there's thunder and lightning and David and I are somewhere where that isn't happening. (laughs) You know what I mean? That obviously was a global phenomenon, but here we are. I'm in sunny California. But anyway, the idea, something that you were touching on 
is or and what Ramdas was saying too is my understanding is like there's connection there's the grand grand union right mm-hmm. and then sin is what takes us out of that connection something that i wrote down recently because I, I think i said on the podcast i like to say there's nothing you can do to separate yourself uh from the love of god or the divine uh, or the beloved, whatever you want to say. But there are things you can do that will increase or decrease your awareness of that yes, love. Yes, perfectly said. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So you, you're just disrupting, you're fucking yourself up. I grew up in a world where it's like, don't jerk off. It makes God angry. And now, you know, I, I don't care if I jerk off or if I don't jerk off. I'm, I'm very concerned with connection to other people, what is increasing love, what is decreasing fear, what is decreasing isolation. So if there's anything that I relate to, to the idea that you shouldn't be inside watching endless loops of pornography and masturbating, it's just probably because it's not your highest self. It's not necessarily where the juice is for you. It's not about making God give you a thumbs up and a high five and then some sort of eternal reward later. It's getting in that, in that flow. Yeah. By the yeah, way, some fun. So, you know, a matter of functions of hypocrisy. I mean, in other words, hypocrisy is getting away from that awareness, too. By, you know, we just saw an ex speaker of the House who's being indicted for uh, supposedly uh, horrible things that he did 30 years ago as a coach. And that might be okay. You might say, well, he made a mistake. But then he, went, he spent 30 years fighting gay rights. Mm. Okay? So there he, went. there he is. I'm not going to mention his name because I think it's unfair to do that. This is a timeless podcast who, who needs to be hearing this two years later. But this guy was very violently and virulently anti-gay. And supposedly he had an abusive gay relationship with one of his students. And then spent the next 30 years in shame. In other words, it's not that he didn't reveal it because he, he thought he'd get put in jail or something. He was tremendously ashamed. Then he got blackmailed for millions of dollars, which is what's going on in the case. That's why we know about it, because banks, it's so interesting. To me, this is completely fascinating, because this bank noticed that you're only allowed to give $10,000 into your bank without them inquiring. He was giving uh, units of $50,000. Okay. Then they told him, and immediately it went down to 10000 so you see the fear, the shame, the hypocrisy, all of that wound up in this man who was the second in line for the presidency of the United States of America. And I've just been watching this last few days and been very struck by this being the differential between what you just said, which is losing your awareness. And that's the problem. Rather than uh, being judged, judged by everybody, condemned and therefore reduced to a shameful package. For the rest of your life, for the rest of your fucking life, that—that's why I can't really go to churches and, and even the Old Testament. You know, I was brought up. You know, wow, all that judgmental stuff. You know, wrath came down upon them, and plagues came down upon them, and then the Philistines got wiped out, and then the bloody other people got wiped out, and then the Jews got wiped out, and everybody got wiped fucking out. Hmm. And that's the, you know, that's much. That's not mystical or Kabbalistic Judaism, but it is the story that I was told when I was five. I know. <laughs> That if you do something wrong, you'll get wiped out. Well, you're going to get wiped out in any case. You're going to die. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, you know, I was struck oh. by what you said right at the beginning. Or you said in one of your podcasts, you said, you know, I shouldn't be a, not a kind of a nightclub type of person. You know, look at I should be a pastor, you know. Yeah. And in a sense, a, a humorous pastor is okay. 
You know, I mean, it's the pastor <laughs> that just can't point the finger at us and going, ah, you are a sinner. Right. Well, I have a big heart for pastors. That's, you know, growing up in that tradition, I, I think they uh, they got a raw deal. These are people that are in the business of truth. Uh, again, this is what's so appealing about guys like you and guys like Ramdas and all these teachers that I've come across now is that their their doubt and their their sexuality or their greed or their pettiness or their wrath is invited to the party. Oh God, <laughs> that was a good thunder time. <laughs> We're getting some here. This is I good. know a little but soundtrack, the, yeah. But the idea that you know, there's every week it seems like there's a story about a pastor who uh, comes out as pro-gay or uh, doesn't believe in, like I said, an eternal conscious living torment hell. Uh, you know, becomes a, a universalist or something. And then, and then he's fired because there's a board of elders that's keeping him in line. And all these pastors make dick for money and their houses are paid for by the church. They live in the house that's allotted for the pastor. It's like, it's like living in the White House. They have their own house. Uh, and then if you get fired, you're really fucked. You know, one of my uh, best friends is Rob Bell, who wrote this book called Love Wins, which is about basically what I was saying, the idea that nobody's nobody's going to burn, that everybody is working towards their own redemption or their own uh, illumination kind of thing. And, you know, Rob used to tour on the road and sell out huge uh, venues. And we just got off the road and we were only selling, you know, 500 tickets or something. So he, he got the blow there. So there's a lot of stake, but I don't think there's any spiritual conversation worth having where you can't admit your darkness or your doubt or include the three dimensions of your person. And I really, I don't know why anyone would want to be a, a, an actual pastor. It seems like a real uh, tough corner to paint yourself into. Whereas a comedian, like, look at Duncan, look at me. We can get a, I, I say on stage, I just got off this tour, like a spiritual tour kind of thing. And I would say on stage, like, I don't want anyone to come to Jesus. I don't care. I don't give a fuck if you say a magical prayer. Imagine that. You know what I mean? But then in the same sort of breath, teaching grace and redemption and love and enlightenment in, in the way that I understand it. I mean, that that's what it's about. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Yeah. The stuff that uh, I mean, Duncan introduced us to this whole thing. I mean, to to show you how much of a cog he's been in introducing uh, this stuff to uh, a, a completely other, quote unquote, audience and com and very much millennial audience. I mean, we just had a retreat and and we did some stuff there. You should take a look. It's uh, uh, Duncan and I did a thing with Ramdas, a session one day, right? So it was saying, oh, it's wonderful to be here, and I introduced Duncan and and. And Ramdas said a few words, and and I don't know. Ramdas said something to like, "What do you think?" To Duncan about something, and Duncan went, "I can't even sit here. I'm so scared shitless to be with you. I am like." And he went off on this whole thing. I mean, it was so cute. Um, okay, now there's big hail things that are coming. Oh my goodness! And the trees are blowing to shit, and oh, so I'm scary. thinking, I I think I better start. Like saving myself. My dogs are here now going, holy shit. No, and, and the window's blown open over here, and it's pouring inside. It's really crazy. So I got to go. Okay? 
Pete, thank you so much for coming on board. David. Thanks for having me anytime. I'd love to talk to you guys again in any capacity. We'd be, yeah, we, we definitely got to continue. I had a whole bunch of other stuff that I wanted to talk about and, um, and, and, and we should get together. We absolutely should get together. I would love to. So people check out the Nerdist and check out Peter Holmes's wonderful stuff. Just do that. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's like it's like finding a new brother, really. And I thank Duncan uh, for introducing us. Uh, You know, it's just terrific. So thank you. And uh, Mind Rolling uh, Podcom, Mind Rolling Podcast, go to MindPod Network and and help us out with our crowdfunding, everybody. Okay, send money. Come on. Yes, we need help. We need help. See you next week.